Hello, welcome back. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Emily. We're the executive directors and co-founders of ATX TV. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This week and coming up through the end of 2021, we're releasing exclusive and original conversations from our Season 10 Festival that premiered in June 2021. Please enjoy this week's release and tune in both here and on youtube.com backslash ATX TV for even more TV goodness. Without further ado, here's this week's TV Campfire episode from Season 10 of ATX TV Festival. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Day 2 of ATX Television Festival Season 10. I'm Jennifer Morgan, the Festival's Director of Programming, and wherever you're tuning in from, we're thrilled to have you here. I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit geeked out to introduce this panel because YA series have played such a huge role in our team's love of TV. This particular panel was the brainchild of our co-founder and number one YA fan, Emily Gibson, and the many hours-long conversations that we've had about the way that YA stories and protagonists are opening audiences up to these huge conversations about mental health, class, race, gender, sexuality, and they're also some of the funniest, messiest, and most entertaining characters on TV. It's hard to even imagine shows like the ones we're talking about today existing 10 or 15 years ago, but I'm so glad that they exist now. So to kick things off, I'd like to introduce our moderator for today, Filiana Ng from Entertainment Tonight. Dive right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season 10 of ATX Television Festival. Um, my name is Filiana Ng, Senior Editor of TV at Entertainment Tonight, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to a conversation about YA TV. Um, but before we dive in, I'm excited to welcome our panelists for today. Uh, first, we have Tracy Wakefield, writer, showrunner, and executive producer of Peacock's Save by the Bell. Hi. Gina Fattori, showrunner and executive producer of Dare Me, which is streaming now on Netflix. Gina. Here I am. Hi. <laughs> uh, Michael Stemmel, star of Who's Love Victor? Hey, yo. <laughs> Um, and last but certainly not least, uh, Kimmy Bryant, star of the CW's license. Hi. Hi. Thanks everyone for, you know, hopping on and, and taking part in this conversation. It's so awesome to have, you know, a, an amazing kind of group of uh, talented writers and kind of actors to really kind of dig into this topic. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan of kind of teen shows and it's it, obviously it's place in pop culture and since we have a mix of writers and actors writers who are often the masterminds behind these compelling stories as, as well as the ones who kind of bring them to life on screen and, and, the, and the actors i'd like to start with a fun question just to get things started um you've all had kind of varied relationships with teen shows in your careers but you know what were those shows or characters um, that were formative for you growing up or, or helped shape your idea of what was possible. Um, Tracy, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. Well, you know, my show is a reboot of an old kid show, basically, Saved by the Bell. And so that's an obvious one. You know, I watched that show. Basically, it was on reruns all the time from when I was like, you know, six years old through high school, I feel like. So I watched that show a lot. And uh, so, you know, some of what I loved about the show was kind of 
ironic making fun of it you know because it was kind of a, a really sort of sanitized version of high school and making fun of uh you know how how kind of simple and fun it was but I also just genuinely liked it and it made me happy and I liked the characters and thought thought it was fun you know um but yeah I liked all different kinds of uh comedies and stuff and you know I always loved young adult and like teen shows like Gossip Girl and stuff even when I was probably too old to be watching it. <laughs> There's no shame uh, uh Gina I guess for, for you to, uh, yeah I mean I have to say um as as uh, you know I'm solidly Gen X person. And like when we were growing up, there weren't a lot of dedicated teen shows. So like, you know, I was like that 11 year old, like watching, you know, Hill Street Blues and things like that. <laughs> um, so, and for us, I think, you know, for my generation, the John Hughes movies famously was the main like representation of being a teenager. Um, but then I have to say something happened when I was in my 20s and we, we do not throw shame at people watching YA shows in their 20s, but it was called My So-Called Life. And uh, uh I actually watched it not in so much, a little bit in its original run, but then it was rerun by MTV. Like when I was in my early 20s and I was not yet a TV writer. I was living in Chicago. I was like a person, you know, not watching it as we all watch TV now as professionals dissecting it. I was truly a fan of it. And, and that has, you know, I still think about it all the time. It influences my writing. I've had the joy of meeting people who worked on it and wrote and acted on it. And it's, you know, just the most influential thing to me is my so-called life. Um, Michael? Um, to be honest, I'd say, like, shows like Drake and Josh and, like, iCarly and Victorious, like, those are all really cool to me. Like, growing up, uh, those were something that, like, I could watch and just, like, feel like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, when they, those originally came out, I was, like, much younger. I didn't really understand what it meant to be like a teenager so to speak but like it was cool to kind of like look forward to like it kind of like just made it feel familiar if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah definitely and Taylor too it's gonna sound really cliche I really did love the vampire diaries growing up <laughs> uh I loved that you know these teens that were in high school were doing these very adult issues and they had to handle these insane issues on their own. Uh, so I loved Vampire Diaries growing up, as cliche as it sounds. <laughs> I mean, what's cool too about this panel is that all your shows are so vastly different from the other in tone and kind of concept. But obviously, there's the common thread of, you know, we all can kind of really relate to those first loves, first heartbreaks, you know, trying to find your identity, discovering your sexuality, you know, feeling alone, all that stuff. So for you guys, just like, what is it about the kind of, what is it about teens that really creates kind of compelling television in your mind and, and really transcends age groups? Because I mean, I'm in my early 30s and I still love watching teen shows and I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> well I guess there's some I had never written a teen show before this I you know I I got my start writing on 30 Rock and I always had written on um you know like workplace comedies about usually about people in their 30s and so this was a departure for me and I was kind of nervous about it mostly because I'm like I'm too old to like know who Lil Nas X is or whatever and um I'm gonna be screwed writing it but you know there's something that 
I have really loved the past two years writing on Saved by the Bell that it's like everything, everything's high stakes because everything's new and you just, decisions in characters' lives are not locked down yet. Like you, you know, identity, what you were saying, like identity is still so fluid and you're finding out who you are and who you want to be in a way that when you're writing about, you know, a girl in her mid thirties finding love in the city, it's like certain things have been decided already, you know, in a way that's more limiting. If anyone else wants to kind of jump in as well. Okay, yeah. Uh, you, you could go ahead first, Sheena, because you're I was going to say, I'll just draft off that and say, yes, it's for me, it's the appeal of the coming of age story. And that, like, really looking at all the movies and books that I've, I've loved have always been in that genre. And I mean, we did used to joke back in the day on Dawson's Creek that, like, all of us who were miserable in high school, that's who survived. Like, at the end, you know, there were like, there was a group of like four or five of us. And, uh, you know, there were many, many writers over the years on that show, but you know, the people who enjoyed high school, I think like didn't get the heart of the show. Wait. And um, so that was, it was true in, in a lot of ways for me, certainly. So Gina, you wrote on Dawson's Creek? Yeah. Oh my like, God. Change my answer, Dawson's Creek, I forgot. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's- I, to I, my I soul, make, Gina. I so, made, I, why didn't I say that? <laughs> I oh yes, I wrote on Dawson's Creek for four years of my life. I always like to say I worked on Dawson's Creek for longer than I was actually in high school because <laughs> I went to a three-year high school. Um, I wrote twenty episodes of the show myself and like worked on you know almost oh hundred. That's and so, that's, so cool. that's yeah. Those are my my bona fides with teen shows. Like I, it's kind of been haunting me my whole career that. I also worked on Gilmore Girls, which was, you know, a coming of age story about Rory Gilmore. I um, worked on Parenthood, which had some great teenage characters. Like, it's kind of been the thing about my career, which is like, you know, it's like the Godfather 3. Like, I'm always trying to get away from writing teenagers. And then they they pull me back in with, like, great books and great stories and all of that. So it's I feel really lucky now. Like, I, I'm sure right after Dawson's, I was sort of like, no, I think I'll pass on the OC, you know, because I was just like, everybody's trying to do the other thing that they haven't done yet, which is a good impulse when you're just starting out in your career. Aren't we all? I mean, Michael, I think you wanted to say something. No, well. yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people from like a lot of different varying age groups can watch YA shows and feel like seen or, you know, can relate to it because like a lot of topics that we talk about in YA shows are one, like topics that aren't really talked about on television or movies. Number two, it's something where it's like, like they said, that it feels very fluid and transformative, right? Where somebody in their 30s might be going through some hardships and they just needed that little extra push and encouragement to kind of go into that transformative new state that they needed to enter. Uh, and then also, I think that like, it offers a perspective sometimes for parents to understand what their kids are going through in high school and I think that that's possibly, you know, all, all three of those different, different demographics and also with social media, you know, like mm -hmm. the reason that the YA shows are so successful now is because we have the power of social media. You know, all, all of the people that are, are my age or, or a little bit older, a little bit younger, all use social media, you know, so that's kind of like the best way to market shows. That's why YA shows get seen so much. It's because everyone, everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, go and watch this stuff, go and watch the show, just like with... Um, Oh, goodness. What was that really popular show during uh, the pandemic? Uh, it was on Netflix. Uh, what? Tiger King? No, not Tiger King, but Tiger King too. But like, uh, <laughs> it was a YA show. It was a YA show. Um, 
Sex education? I love. No, sex it's about education. them getting the treasure. Oh, wow. yeah. Good Outer Banks. In Wilmington. Outer Banks. Yes, Outer that's Banks. exactly what it was. Yes, yes. yes. Thank you, Kaylee. All right, points, Kaylee. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah. Like I, I think that like you know, social media makes everything so readily available and it raises awareness for projects like these. Thus, that's why they're being seen so much more. You kind of bring up an interesting point because shows that cater to younger audiences or are about younger audiences also have a really unique relationship with the fans, right? Who invest a lot of time and energy into each episode, like dissecting every episode, a scene sometimes, one line. Um, what kind of feedback have you received either directly on social media or indirectly from younger viewers about kind of the portrayals of teen issues on your shows or, or your characters? We have some incredibly, incredibly committed fans of legacies that have kind of come from the Vampire Diaries and the originals and have come newly fresh to our show. So there is an incredible presence online of all of these fans that just want to know everything. They share their opinions on every single scene. They want to know all the songs that are playing during the episodes. Um, so it's been this amazing gift. And with that came so many, so many people, older, younger, that have come to me saying, you know, Josie being pansexual helped me so much come out to my family, has helped me accept myself in so many different ways and outlets. I've had people just come up to me on the street saying that. And that's been incredibly fulfilling and just really exciting because, you know, I didn't have queer representation growing up. So the fact that my character is helping other people is incredible. And Michael, similarly to you, I mean, you kind of, your character is, is also kind of really embracing his kind of LGBTQ kind of uh, plus uh, identity and, and really leading into it in, in Love, Victor. Yeah, can you speak to kind of any response, reaction from fans, uh, younger viewers about about yeah, yeah. It, it, it's definitely been like overwhelmingly positive you know it, it's it's honestly super great to just see that people feel seen you know I, I think that like Kaylee could probably attest to this it's like you don't see you didn't see LGBT representation growing up I, I know everyone else could attest to this as well like 16 15 years ago there was no rep LGBT representation on screen unless it was like some catty gay man like some quote-unquote stereotypical like over portrayal of like a gay man and now i think that it's like so cool that we have you know stories like uh portrait of a woman on fire like being told on the screen like it, it's just crazy to see and also you know the reception is usually really really good which is exciting because it shows like executive producers and big networks that there's a market for LGBT storytelling, which is cool because everyone deserves to be represented on screen, you know? And, and Tracy and, and um, Gina maybe, has there been a specific response or reaction that has kind of created conversation in the writer's room or even kind of on set or has really changed the direction of a storyline for the better? I mean, I, I could speak to that really quickly because we didn't get a second season on Dare Me, so we didn't get a chance to like take in, you know, take that in. Um, I would say the one thing, and we have two young actors right here, but I was so grateful. I mean, we honestly cast the most amazing people for the parts, 
But a lot of the young women on my show had these like gigantic social media followings. And like, it was like a little bit of a moment where it was like, okay, we're coming out in this show that's like not got a lot of chances to get attention because we're a YA show and, you know, and, and we were, you know, just, there's so much, so many shows. And so the social media campaign, honestly, that the studio did, um, working with all of my young cast and and Zach Roig too, who had been on Vampire Diaries, so obviously, you know, had a lot of followers. Willa Fitzgerald too, like everybody, like that was a, a way of getting the word out. And, and it was fun, honestly, just to be a lurker and watch the conversations as the episodes came out. And, um, you know, Dare Me was based on a book. So there were like huge fans of the book who were like engaging with it. Um, you know, and, uh, and that was really rewarding, but yeah, back in the day on Dawson's Creek, there was something called the message boards and, you know, the message boards, like, I, I believe we were on, on Wednesday. So like, you know, Thursday was like, okay, let's look at the message boards and see how they have like destroyed us. You know, sometimes we deserved it. I admit, you know, not every episode of television you make is perfect, but that was what was happening back then. And we could not respond to the fans because we were already seven episodes ahead of what they were talking about at that point on the message boards. So, you know, it's, that's what makes it hard. Um, yeah, I don't think we, you know, we're writing our second season now and we're about to start shooting, you know, and obviously you read Twitter and um, I'm so grateful for all the feedback we get on our show. But in terms of like, veering directions and stuff like I don't I don't feel like we usually do that just because it's like you know the show you want to be making and it's like you can if you start doing that it's like you know you can very quickly just be yeah following something that isn't exactly what you want to do I mean what one thing I'll say is like on our you know on the first season of our show we it kind of piggybacking off of what Michael was saying so nicely was um, Josie Toda plays Lexi, who's um, a, a trans girl and also like kind of a bitch and the most popular girl at Bayside or whatever. And we got big feedback in a really exciting way about like people, you know, uh, trans kids and all kids uh, saying how exciting it was to see sort of a powerful kind of mean trans character who wasn't victimized and who wasn't you know, um, who wasn't like a wise trans person teaching a lesson about being trans or something. And so, you know, it, it was exciting for us to, you know, we love Josie and, and wanted to have her in the show as much as possible. But it felt like after that first season, because she kind of, you know, was such a breakout from the show, it, it felt like this season, like, oh, we can then do storylines that delve you know, you do one that delves a little deeper into her gender identity. When season one, I think it was really important to me that we kind of don't do any of that because I wanted her to just be, you know, this sort of like any cis character, this sort of like Regina George of the show and, you know, not make her transness a huge part of the character. But yeah, that was that was one example, I guess. Like No, like, I, I think that like, you know, we're kind of entering a space now where it's like, I think it's exciting because there's stories being told. Like I want to see like a gay action film or I want to say, see like a gay romance where it's not about coming out. It's not about like their like experience in like the world and how they treat them. I think it'd be cool to just see like a gay, a gay love story where it's just the dynamic of being in a gay relationship. Like, I, I think it'd be cool to like see more things in that space. I think we're kind of entering that space. And I think that as you know, more LGBT kids and 
and teens watch shows and movies and stuff like like these they can kind of like spin off of that and start writing and, and start creating because we need ultimately we need more lgbt writers we need more people of color as writers to kind of tell different diverse like diverse stories and, and i think that we're kind of entering a place where it's we're inspiring young teens to kind of chase those dreams kind of piggybacking off of that i mean how do you kind of uh you know know when a storyline is resonating or is working or is being authentic or organic to the character's journey or their kind of inner conflict um do you run it by the stars of the younger stars to know if they work uh, how, how do you kind of uh, and and michael keely feel free to totally chime in just how do you kind of yeah uh get that right. We, I don't know. Do you, we don't like the only, I mean, we have, you know, uh, we have a diverse room and we have a trans writer in the room and, but Josie is in that particular instance is also a producer on the show. So she, mm -hmm. this year, a lot more than last year, uh, just cause I think she's curious and has stuff to add, uh, has been in our room a lot. So she, especially with that one storyline pertaining to her, but a lot of them, um, has had stuff to pitch and, and helped us, you know, craft certain storylines and stuff. But then generally we don't like run things by actors. Like, would you, do you like this? Cause I feel yeah. like that's also, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel like a yeah. dangerous. Get, or just kind of like, the, like it's unfair to the actor too. I don't right. know, I'm trying to do this other job. It's not their you know? job, right. Like they need to like communication is always key. And like, yeah. you know, the actor's job is to take this thing and, and make it great. And I think, you know, we also want to be careful. Sometimes we don't want to ask you know, people of color or, or, or queer people to say like, okay, now you fix my script for me. You know, like that's not <laughs> their job. Yes. So, um, but the communication is key to making like this, you know, the, the portrait feel real and feel right. And I actually, weirdly, I also started in half hour. I, I was an assistant on King of the Hill. And so the first thing I ever wrote was a King of the Hill episode and all of comedy mostly or old school comedy always came from character. And so like, I always feel like when I'm writing, I'm just letting the character guide me. And if you can get in a conversation with the actor and everybody's on the same page about who that character is, I think that's when you get the best you know, thing on screen at the end. It just, you know, I really am proud of Dare Me. I think it's amazing. And it was fun to make a teen show after having, you know, made a teen show so many years ago and, and just like mixing it up and saying like, yeah, what if the two best friends were two girls instead of like a boy and a girl? And like, how can we, you know, just play around with all these, these things and make them new? I definitely prefer, prefer, prefer the writers to very much do their own thing. The only times that the writers have ever asked me any questions or I've kind of asked a question has only ever been because as a queer woman myself, there's going to be things that maybe I know that a straight man might not know. So he'll say, hey, you know, your character has had a girlfriend this first season. We're kind of thinking of putting her with a guy this next season. Is that something that's okay? And I'm sitting there like, yes, of course it's okay. So it's nice when questions like that come up because it's, only I can answer them in that circumstance. Yeah, I think to like Kaylee's testament, I think that like just having an open line of communication with like the people that you work with is definitely ideal. You know, obviously, the, the, I think the thing is, is that creatively the writers are, they, where they find their voice is writing. And where actors find their voice is where they're saying the writer's words. Um, 
but you know, sometimes like there is, there is conversations to be had and I'm, I'm been really lucky enough to like have conversations with like my writers and stuff, but realistically they, they it's not really my job and nor like nor do I want it to be my job that is not my area of expertise by any means you know so like I, it's it's definitely just like I think in this industry if you try to control everything like you just kind of lose it so it's cool to just trust your team and trust everybody else on the show to just like do their jobs because they're all really talented and worked really hard to get here and it makes uh, it takes a, dream, a team to make the dream work you know yeah, definitely. And I'm also kind of curious too, I mean, were there any storylines on your shows that you were surprised resonated as much as they did? Um, any specific ones that, that kind of spring to mind for you guys? I mean, I, I will say about Dare Me that like, you know, and again, this is from the book, but it's about the main complicated, you know, dissectable, juicy, interesting relationship is among these two teenage girls and their relationship with each other. Um, and it's, you know, can be sexual or it can be best friend or it can be all these different things. And uh, I think that was the thing that I noticed in the social media. It's just that people were like, we just haven't gotten to see this. And this is true to the experience of so many teenage girls that like, you know, they're, they're just, they're female friendships that they made at that age, which, and many people frankly would come to me and describe the various toxic relationships they had with other teenage girls. And um, so it was really interesting to see that play out when the show finally came on that how people responded to that relationship. Yeah, recently we had an episode where there was a young woman who was basically being voted out of the school and it touched upon a really incredibly interesting topic of socioeconomics and racism. And I had this a beautiful scene with my father where I basically asked him, if this girl was your daughter, would you be doing this to her too? And that I think is really beautiful and resonated incredibly. Our show, uh, our show's a comedy, obviously. So uh, some, you know, um, uh, traditionally, I think like comedies, especially like teen comedies, uh, don't delve into like heavier topics, but we just because of inherent to the premise of our show, it's about these like low income schools that get shut down and then the kids get sent to Bayside. Like, um, you know, uh, we got a lot of really positive feedback about um, how it, how the, how the Saved by the Bell reboot is a, you know, is a conversation about uh, public education inequality in America, which sounds ridiculous because a Saved by the Bell reboot sounds stupid. Um, but, you know, just kind of baked into the premise is, you know, this very interesting thing that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about how in America, but specifically LA and New York, two places you don't think it should be true, like, public schools are incredibly segregated, both racially and socioeconomically. And, um, you know, I, not naively, but I, I sort of pitched this premise for comedy reasons, uh, thinking like, oh, it would be funny if kids who had a different point of view came into this really weird school that exists within a bubble. But it, it does open up all these conversations about privilege and race and class and education. And even if you're doing a stupid comedy, you have to have those real conversations in the room or else you're saying, you know, you have to know that what you're saying is the, the thing you want to say. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you were presented with a very unique situation in that, you know, Safe by the Bell obviously was already established team comedy in the 90s and in contemporizing it for like a new generation, but also acknowledging what had come before. Right. How did you kind of toe that line of coming up with, with new ideas that, that today's teens who are smarter, like more like connected, yeah. you know, would relate to and really understand and gravitate yeah. Um, you know, well, I made a decision early on that I, I think the traditional way that you have seen reboots specifically of this kind of multicam show had been done before is, oh, just make more of them that look mm-hmm. the same, but it's their kids or whatever. And so I made the decision that it's that, you know, not totally knowing what the tone would be and kind of figuring it out as I went that it's like, well, what if it was a single cam show and it was like a, a hard comedy you know, written the same as anything else I'd written, you know, written like 30 Rock or Great News or whatever else. Um, And, you know, and and there's a line to walk, right? Because you want to, you want the show to be sort of accessible to families and everyone and younger people. So it's like, it's not going to be euphoria. Like no one wants to like see Slater's butt. But I do think kids especially are more sophisticated now and they know when things are inauthentic and they know when things aren't funny, really, when they're like cheesy and bad. So I was just trying to make a show for adults that had grown up watching the original. And I think, you know, kids liked that and it brought new people to the show. And Gina, I mean, you kind of touched a lot on, on your kind of past experience working on Dawson's. Um, and, you know, Dare We Exist, obviously, in a completely different time, maybe, you know, one that's not as simple, perhaps the world is a little bit more of a pressure cooker. Um, are there issues that are the same, but had to be handled completely differently, you know, on Dare Me that solely because of the decade it exists in? It's not the 90s, not the early 2000s anymore, and, and you know, the high major of the show. I mean, I... I'm sure there were, but like, I like, I mean, Tracy said something earlier about like, you know, on a teen show, the stakes are always high because they're the stakes to the character. And like, when you are going through it and like, you like your best friend and your best friend does not like you back, which is like, that is Joey Potter. That is like a thousand other characters. That is like, you know, it is so true. And like, that's a, at the heart of Dare Me is kind of that idea of like, what if two friends are growing apart in different ways? Or what if that dynamic that's, you know, so important to you when you're that age? Because like, I think the main odd cultural difference is that I am part of the generation where like our parents were not actually important to us. So like the joke was like on all of those old school teen shows, the parents like walked into the scene and they gave you your laundry and they walked out and and like, you know, the younger kids, God bless them all. They like their parents, which is great because now they're stuck living with their parents full time during the pandemic. And um, so it has created like different, you know, relationships that that kids have and and that are more like, that are, I mean, obviously like are, are all great, but like the idea that your friends were your life and like that, the world of the school was like, you just lived and died in that school. It made the stakes really high. And you know, Dare Me is based on a novel that is written by Megan Abbott and all of her work has this amazing like film noir feel to it. So the fun thing about making Dare Me is that like all along all these teen shows I've worked on, I understood that the stakes were that high. But yeah, we were, I always think the emotion is the part that's like, you know, kind of the most genuine teen show thing that has not changed. And, you know, it's it's what makes it hard. It's so hard to be a teenager. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. Well, for, for Michael and Kaylee, I mean, as the actors really kind of inhabiting these experiences and, and playing about on screen and, and kind of living in these characters' shoes, do you feel a sense of pride and, and ownership when you know a storyline is hitting all the right notes for all the right reasons? And, and is there like a specific instance that you can share where you just felt incredibly, you just felt good kind of, you know, filming a scene or, or, knowing that this episode just kind of hit the mark. Uh, you can go first, Kelly. <laughs> I, oh, <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, let him go. Um, I think there's been multiple times where I've felt pride for playing Josie, for Josie being a character that even exists on television right now. I think I feel just a sense of pride all around. I don't think that there's one particular scene or particular moment where I'm going like, oh, yes this is it, this is, I've made it. I think that it's something that comes in waves consistently where a certain scene happens where I'm with my girlfriend and I'm in the scene thinking, oh, I don't think I've ever seen a scene like this before, like this. Or there's the time where a fan comes up to me and tells me the effect that my character had on them. I think that it's a multitude of different things coming together that create this really beautiful feeling and sense of fulfillment from doing the show. Yeah, I, I think just to kind of piggyback off of that uh, very well said uh, bit there, I, I think, yeah, like I, I definitely do feel like really proud to represent like underrepresented groups, you know, like I, I think that like it takes a lot of time and it took a lot of time at least to get to where we are now and especially in like the TV space where we are kind of just talking about some more serious subjects or kind of tackling some more serious things because now instead of it being tv we have streamers we have streaming and, and streaming really kind of allows us to kind of explore new things where only movies were allowed to explore before because you know there's certain things that you can't say when it's being aired on live television uh but now it's it's different you know like we we have streaming and it's so readily available to everyone for everyone to watch whenever they want to so I think that that makes it all really, really exciting and makes it like a new space. But with that, you know, now you have, because, you know, you don't have everybody sitting there. Oh, okay. At Wednesday at five o'clock, this is the only time I'm going to be able to watch the show. You have everyone able to watch it whenever they can. So it's like a continuous long lasting effect. You see, you see people six months later hopping onto the show and watching the whole series, binging it in a day. And you get incredible messages. I'm sure Kaylee could attest to that. Like, it's it's really sick to just see that uh, as artists and you know like that the show that you're part of is really making a difference in other people's lives and i think that as an artist you always that's definitely the goal yeah i mean you guys kind of touched on this a little bit but all of your shows really touched on uh really important topics like uh race gender sexuality socioeconomic inequity religion mental health even um and, and I'm always interested, like the stories and the conflicts really kind of vary depending on whose lens it's kind of told through. And oftentimes you see through the adults kind of eyes. So how are these issues kind of amplified when like they're told through the teenagers eyes rather than in adults? Well, I will start, I will say the one episode of Dare Me that I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of all of them, but we did an episode where we use like within our cast, like we do three different points of view on a story that's about, you know, sexual assault and trauma. And, you know, the way we constructed it, it's essentially like 
the point of view, the first time you go through the story is from the point of view of one of the girls. The second time it's from the point of view of the coach who on our show is like an adult, but she's only like 28. So she's not a parent. She's like a just kind of a different. And then the third time you experience the story from another point of view. And like, this is something I've always been fascinated by in, in storytelling ways. Like how can we make the audience question, you know, like, and in our case, like sometimes a, a narrator is an unreliable narrator in fiction. And how do we recreate that in, you know, in screen language to show that like, you know, sometimes a character isn't seeing things correctly or 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 that there's many ways to see certain things so that was for me really really rewarding episode that I'm so proud of yeah I mean well one nice thing and this I guess is why you know um in especially in the 90s there were so many shows that did like special episodes on shows mm -hmm. right but it's like yeah. one thing that's nice about that is some of these some of these issues like the characters if they're young characters are coming to the thing for the first time you know so it's not like you're telling stories about these characters who because of their you know the many things that happen to them through their lives they have very strong opinions about this thing it's like kids are figuring a lot of these things out and so there's opportunities for like fresh perspectives and like opportunities to kind of like learn at the end and stuff, which, you know, if done correctly and not in a cheese ball way, I think can be kind of nice and, you know, effective television. Yeah. It's interesting. My character on legacies is kind of the opposite in the sense that her age isn't what amplifies anything. It's more the supernatural aspect. So mm -hmm. Josie's queerness isn't what makes her question herself or it really doesn't have that effect. She comes from an incredibly affluent family. I can speak English. She is incredibly <laughs> affluent and has been growing up in this boarding school, this bubble. So she hasn't ever needed to question her queerness. And that's been the kind of opposite effect of the world kind of shifting is that maybe in time, somebody would feel comfortable enough that it wouldn't even be a coming out story. It wouldn't be an amplified story. It would just be normal. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that like, I mean, there's even shows like, like uh, Rami on it's on Hulu. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's like super cool because it's talking about this guy. And I think he's in his late twenties where he's like kind of still, trying to figure it out and it's still like a coming of age story but he's in his late 20s and it, it, he's finding out like what his religion means to him and where what re his religion means to the rest of the world you know even though he does have those kind of like preconceived kind of notions he's still very new to like this path of self-discovery which i think is kind of like a testament to the times that we are in right now because i feel like especially right now there's a mark that's like constantly changing that we are all trying to find and i think that in today's day it's like where do we go like what is happening what's the new hot thing because everything that is was funny a month ago isn't funny anymore now and it's like it, it we're in a, in a in a state of constant change a constant uh what is it called it's like self it's like instant gratification you know so it's like i, I think that right now we're in a very different time and shows like these are really important to just kind of attest to that um I think, I mean, Gina and Tracy, I guess I'll throw this one to you guys. Are there any why specific issues or experiences you haven't covered in your shows or in other projects that you'd like a hand at tackling at some point? I mean, there's stuff I do not want a hand in tackling. Like, and maybe it's, 
like, I don't need to like get, like, I don't want to write on euphoria. I don't need to get deep into like sexuality in like Mm -hmm. a really graphic way. Am I like a prude or something? No, I think I just come from like a, I, I think I, I just come from like a primetime comedy background or something. And it's like, I like funny stuff. Like, I don't know if I need like <laughs> to be on set overseeing like heavy sexuality. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a great point for this current moment because honestly, like, you know, one of the greatest things about like, you know, uh, we want to tell, I mean, I think it's important to tell stories about teens coming into their own and figuring out their sexuality okay. because I mean, obviously not everybody has those super understanding parents. And like, sometimes that's a way that like, you can get people's stories, you can get them access to stories, even honestly in countries all over the world where like, you know, you can sort of show people different ways of of living and that's important. But we're dealing with, I mean, often, you know, young adults, but sometimes real teenagers. And like, we always, I've always felt, you know, we've had many conversations over the years on like, we're asking young actors, where are they in their real life, you know, in their journey as a person. And especially, I mean, you know, I have worked on shows where the actors are 15, 16, you know, and, and they are, you know, or even younger, honestly, like I, so I think that like we always approach that with a sense of like, you know, you need to be in real communication with those with those young actors because who knows where they are in their journey about who they are. And yeah. so, yeah, that makes it more complicated. And I know that means we shouldn't entirely shy away from stories like that because they, they could be when they're well done, you know, they can be great. Yeah. Can really, And certainly there's room for shows like that. I don't yeah. want to make one. Yeah, I think that like ultimately as artists, we have to like, stay true to what speaks to us individually, you know, and like each of us has an artistry, a mastery over our artistry. And so like, thus what, what speaks to everyone is going to be different, especially in, in, you know, today's time. I think that we all have completely different backgrounds. Like most artists do like not, not everyone has been like really lucky enough to like grow up in LA. Some people grew up in, in the, in the middle of the country and, grew up with conservative families or some people grew up in the super liberal LA and then they fell into writing. I I think that like, you know, the time and space that we're in right now, I think it's just ultimately sticking to what makes you feel comfortable, but also like sticking what like speaks to everyone as artists. Um, But with that being said, I do think that like there's room and, and stuff for for every story to be told. And and I think that uh, we're kind of, we're kind of going down that path right now for sure, but it just, it just takes time. Like ultimately uh, again, every, I think it just, every artist needs to stay like not stay in their lane, but like every artist needs to find out what speaks to them. Yeah. And you know, last, I guess I'll kind of end with this question. What is it? And it's a kind of a self-serving one because I'm always looking for kind of a, a new team show to kind of upset over. Um, what is a team show of the past or the present that may not be in the pop culture lexicon right now that, that you believe deserves a spotlight or, you know, you want to kind of, you know, give some due? Um, my, I, this, uh, this is a little self-serving, but my, um, two best friends, Lang Fisher and Mindy Kaling made this show called Never Have I Ever, um, which I think is in the lexicon and a lot of people are talking about it, but, um, I think for people who have not seen it or for adults who maybe don't like teen shows, it's, it's beyond a teen show. Like it's uh, so funny. It's really emotional. 
um, the lead girl is, is such a star and I like zipped through it in five hours. You know, you, it's such a, it's on Netflix. It's such a great watch. Yeah. I actually watched the show over uh, quarantine as a lot of people, I think consumed a lot of media then called uh, tales from the loop which has young stories as well as adult stories. And it was just incredibly cinematic and beautiful. I think that there is a lot of political commentary within all entertainment, which is great. But with Tales from the Loop, there actually wasn't any of that. It was just very slice of life in the most beautiful way. So I highly recommend that. Uh, Do you want to go first, Sheeta? (laughs) I don't know. Do you, I have like I have like five. I have too many. I'm trying to edit. Do you have one? Okay. Like... Uh, do you want me to go then? Because I, I have. I already know my rec. Uh, okay, go, go. Okay, cool. Uh, there's an anime called Demon Slayer. It's phenomenal. Everyone should watch it. It's really sweet. And I, I think that like you know a lot of people kind of like chalk up animation just to be like, oh, it's animation, but it's so good and heartwarming. It just makes you want to like you know. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> Oh man. Okay, I I do have a zillion because like I do watch a lot in the uh, sex education on Netflix, and like I did think that like it just built into something really interesting. By the time they got to episode five, I was like, okay, this is really doing some interesting interesting things, and I was like, hats off. Like at first, I wasn't sure what it was. I was like, is this set in another time period or is this set in the present day? But I think it it developed its own language, and the characters were great, and it really kind of blew my mind. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. I want to thank the panelists for an enlightening and amazing conversation about all things teen TV. I feel like we could talk about teens and, you know, inner struggles and things like that for hours. <laughs> um, but thank you again. Um, you can stream Dare Me on Netflix, Saved by the Bell on Peacock, uh, Love Victor on Blue, and you can watch new episodes of Legacies on the CW. On the CW. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. It was great to see you guys. Thank you for listening to ATX TV's original series, The TV Campfire. To watch these panels and more, please visit youtube.com backslash ATX TV. For details on the festival, go to atxfestival.com. And information on our membership program can be found at atxfestival.com backslash membership. Follow us at ATX Festival on all social media. As always, please rate and review. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And a simple click or brief comment can help us grow and have other TV lovers like yourselves find us. Feels like enough information, right? Yep. Till next time, keep watching TV.